like to share the things that the Lord gave me this morning with you. In a sermon that's called, uh, that came, comes from Psalm 95, and it's called a call to worship. On July 4th, 1776, the United States broke away from England and decided that uh, it was going to be independent of the King of England. As Christians, this day reminds me, and I hope it reminds me, you, as we celebrate our independence from the King of England, that we put our dependence on the King of Heaven, that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who controls the universe, everything that is in our, in our understanding of God's will is being exacted by the Lord Jesus Christ. We feel like things are out of control, and they seem to be, but can I tell you, God's got everything under control, amen? He's got your life, and he's got this universe. I'm going from the micro to the macro. He's got the universe in his control. If this universe was in complete chaos, you wouldn't be here. But God is a God of order and not a God of chaos. So this morning, as we celebrate our independence as a country, we also need to celebrate our dependence as individual believers. Amen? When we are dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to realize we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot that warrants our ability to praise the Lord. He's the only one that's worthy of praise and worship. And I'd like to share some of the reasons why that's the case this morning. From Psalm 95 to Psalm 100, they have a common theme. They all begin with an admonition for Israel to praise God. Like any nation, after time, those who were immersed in their spiritual faith in Jehovah God, they began to get cold and they got, they got to a place where they were indifferent. That's where we are. As a nation who was founded as a Christian nation, we are wandering further and further and further away from those principles and those traditions and those scriptural foundations that built this country to be the country that it is. Did it have faults? Absolutely. But we've taken those faults to define who we are. I would never define anybody by their faults. We want to be defined by the whole person that we are. You've got good points and you've got not such good points. I've got good points and I've got such not, not such nice good points. But look at the whole picture. Look at the whole person that you are. That's the way God sees you. And God sees you dependent upon him. The people have... The people from Israel had just been freed from slavery after 40 years in Babylon, and they didn't seem to be too grateful. They had much to be grateful to God, God and God called them to praise and worship. And what he called them to, pray, to be praiseful and worshipful about applies 3,000 years later to us. Psalm 95 is divided into two parts. Verses 1 to 6 are an invitation, and verses 7 to 11 are a warning. So let's explore our text. Let's go to Psalm 95. Uh, will it be up there? Yes, I guess it will be. Psalm 95, and we'll look at those warnings and so forth in a minute. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. 
The sea is his. He made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if we will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the days of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved in this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart as they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. An invitation and a warning. Verses 1 to 6, it's an invitation is given to praise and worship God. Praise and worship God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. It is our chief work to praise the Lord God. So the question you should be asking is, how do I do that? Let's be practical. How do we do that? I think the text gives us some clues. Here's what it says in verse 1. Praise the Lord with your voice. Let us sing unto the Lord. The author and Christian thinker Francis Schaeffer said this, One day all Christians will join in a doxology and sing God's praises with perfection. But even today, individually and corporately, we are not only to sing the doxology, but we are called to be the doxology. People who live in praise of the Lord and demonstrate it by their life. People are looking at you because they know you're a Christian. They're listening to the things you say. You know, one of the things that's marked the church for 2,000 years has been its music. Now, I was, I was born and raised for a number of years of my early life as a Catholic. And many of the people in my, in my church would say, the music is terrible here. If they wanted good music, they had to go to the Protestant church. <laughs> Songs that you know, How Great Thou Art, etc. That was just a reality. But the church has been singing for 2,000 years. Gregorian chants and so forth. The Christian faith is so joyful, you have to put that joy into song. Amen? And when you hear really a beautiful Christian music, like How Great Thou Art, it lifts your soul. Just listening to God Bless America, uh, when we heard a little, little while ago, was really beautiful. America the Beautiful, so beautiful. It lifts your heart. Something special about music, and God knows it. So he said, sing. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Give praise to the Lord in prayer and in song. And don't be afraid when people ask you why you're a Christian to tell them why you're a Christian. Don't be a secret agent. Verse 1, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It tells us to praise the Lord with enthusiasm. Not, you know, like, oh, praise the Lord. Come on, praise the Lord. Get excited about your faith. Make it, make it a living faith because your face is alive this morning. It tells us to praise the Lord with enthusiasm. Billy Sunday, the great preacher back in the early 1900s, said enthusiasm is a good thing. The enthusiasm is a good thing in the church as a fire in a cook stove. Now, how, I wonder how he feels hearing about pizzas in Brooklyn where they don't want a cook stove. They don't want a fire in the stove. They don't want coal-fired stoves anymore. It's, it's, you can't have a good pizza without a coal-fired or a wood-fired stove. Let me just put it to you that way. Both enthusiasm and pessimism are contagious. 
Which one of you are you carrying? You're a carrier of one of those two emotions. Are you an optimist? Or are you a pessimist? Are you infecting and affecting others around you? So when people come into your life, are they, do they walk away depressed? I mean, you, you know, so many people we talk to today are so negative, And there just seems to be a negative spirit out there. We should be the counteracting people. We should be the people who are going against the stream. We should be people who are swimming upstream. And we are the ones that should be enthusiastic and optimistic and allow that enthusiasm and, and optimism to be our calling card. When people see you and when they see me and they listen to us and we start talking to them about how things are in the world today, if it's only going to be a negative story, we're going to be just like everybody else. And I don't think we should be just like everybody else, amen? The Bible talks about us being a separate people, that our, our attitudes, our behavior, our priorities, our disposition, how we see life and our worldview is different from those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. Verse 2 says, praise the Lord with thanksgiving, and there's a lot to be thankful for. Today is God's gift to you. Are you grateful that you woke up this morning? I mean, you know, for Christians, that's a mixed bag. Because if we know we didn't wake up this morning, where would we be? Amen, amen. Life is a gift to you. Jesus' unconditional love for you is a gift. Salvation through faith in Christ, the crucified and resurrected one, is God's gift given to you freely. Are you grateful? Are you grateful for the very foundations that made America what it is? Those men back as founding fathers, so many, the majority as far as I, my, my study goes, those men were believers in Jesus Christ and they believed God's word and they said this experiment with freedom is never going to work if people aren't worshiping God. That's what they said. And the further away we get from worshiping and praising the Lord and living like the foundations of our faith, the worse it's going to get. It's not going to get any better. This is, this is the secular world's attempt at what it looks like to be free. Are we being free, or, are we, or is it drifting in another direction? For these gifts and his innumerable blessings, God is to be praised. Verses 3 to 5 say, we praise the Lord with our heart, soul, and mind. In other words, our reason, our ability to think. So many people say when you tell them that you're a Bible-believing Christian, they think that you are about 2,000 years in a mindset, that you don't have any intellect, that you're a knuckle-dragger, that you have no intellect, that you have no education, that you're not very smart, you have no intelligence, and our faith in Jesus Christ is not anti-intellectual. There are so many intellects who share our faith. Verses 3 to 5 share that the physical evidence for a creator and designer is all around us. It's becoming more and more truthful that what Darwin Come, uh, came out with in his theory is being put on the back burners as not true. Darwinian evolution and all the tentacles that it has into our culture, into our education, and so many other places is being shown not to be correct. 
What's being shown to be correct? When we did the book of Genesis, which we're doing, when we started out, all I could do chapter after chapter was to give you the science. This is what's happening, and that science was proving that Genesis is true, that God created and God designed this planet for you to live on. The Bible says that the earth was created to be inhabited. It's a miracle. It's in the sea, the sky, the mountains, the plains, the order found in the heavens, the laws of nature as found in the earth, the amazing complexity of the Bible. Cry out for a designer, cry out for a creator, and cry out for a life giver. The philosopher Voltaire said, quote, I shall always be convinced that the watch, the watch proves a watchmaker and that a universe proves there is a God. Think about that. Albert Einstein, he said, the mathematical precision of the universe reveals the mathematical mind of God. I mean, you want to fight these things? This is enhancements to your faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, but every time we get more and more evidence to support our faith, we have more and more to share with people who are skeptics. That stuff that they all believe, and then they'll come to understanding the Scripture. We praise God with our voice, with our enthusiasm, with thanksgiving, with our reason, and with our minds. Verse 6 says, we praise God with others. Let us worship, let us kneel, let us bow. Who are the us's, if I can coin a phrase? All who are in love and fellowship in the family of God, who humbly put their trust in Christ. This is the injunction of our communion service. This service this morning that we perform together brings us together as a community of believers. The world is out there trying to find communities, places where, there was lo where there's love, places where there's acceptance, places where there's forgiveness, places where there's a higher power. You've got it right here this morning in the communion. We worship together. We think of what Christ did, and it brings us together. Notice there is no them in that verse that we read earlier. We praise God with others. Let us worship. Let us kneel. Let us bow down. There is no them. There is no sorting out. There is no labels. Just one family. You're one of the family if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what binds us together. You're part of that family if you've done that. You know, when I was in the service, I remember my first leave down in, uh, down in uh, Petersburg, Virginia. And on that first leave, I had the whole weekend off. And I didn't know what in the world to do. So a couple of my friends and I went out, but then when they started to talk about let's go to a bar, I abandoned them. Sunday morning came, and I took a walk through Petersburg looking for a church. And I found one. It was a Baptist church, I'll have to admit it. Went to this Baptist church, and I sat in the pew like everybody else. The church was packed. And I started singing. And the family ahead of me turned around and looked and smiled and said, are you from Fort Lee? Yeah, yeah. Would you join us for lunch today? Just like that. So I realized I have family in Fort Lee, in Petersburg, Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia, and anywhere I go, any place I go, I find family. What do I do? I go through the doors of a church. I hope people who come here, and I know people who come here feel that same way here, that they're part of something that they're loved here, and they're accepted here. 
Verse 6 says that we worship and bow down. The wise men bowed down at the child Jesus and worshiped him. Demons, believe it or not, demons bowed before Jesus and proclaimed him to be the son of God. And Philippians 2.10 says, all at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to Christ in reverence and worship. Do you know what that means, every knee? That means every knee. Do you know what that means? That Satan, one day you're going to see this. Can you imagine? One day you're going to be standing in heaven at the judgment, at the, at the great white throne judgment. And from the back doors of where we are, in is going to come a dark figure in chains. And that dark figure in chains is going to be the evil one, Satan. You're going to actually see Satan walk toward God, who is the judge. And as he comes towards God, he who resisted, he who hated, he who promoted all manner of evil, who, he who decided in his heart that he was going to be God, is going to all of a sudden drop to his knees, and he's going to worship Almighty God. Every knee. The people you least expected to see there. Colossians 2.18 tells us that no one and nothing is worthy of our adoration for our, except Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not your job. Not money. Not fame. Not treasure. Not sports. Not politics. Politics nor education. Nothing is worth. Nothing compares to Christ. And nothing compares to to him in such a way that it's to be worshipped. So many people have given up God, walked away from God. Now you know what? Nature defies a vacuum. They want to fill it, and they're going to fill it with something. Well, what's big enough to fill the hole that's created when you give up God of universe? Nothing. This is why, try as they made to fill their heart with something after they kick God out. Nothing satisfies they, they, get, they get wealthy, and they want more wealth. You know, this is called self-actualization. In other words, the, 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 uh, one of the great geniuses of our day, uh, he, he built an airline, and the, and the planes are flying within the 30,000 feet ceiling, and he's not satisfied with that. Now he wants to fly people into outer space. Well, they tried lowering people below inner space. It doesn't work out too good. But you see, we always want to do something more. We're never satisfied. That's part of our human being. There's an element of good about that. But if we're trying to find something to substitute for God, it isn't good. And it'll never work. Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, there will also your heart be. Which leads us to the second part of the psalm. God gives us a warning. Verses 7 to 11. He says, We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. John 10, 27 says, The sheep hear and heed my voice. They hear the voice of the good shepherd. Does the good shepherd still speak today? Today he speaks through the Bible. He speaks through your prayers. He speaks through us through the eyes of hurting people. He speaks to us through encouragement, words of encouragement, and through the preaching of his word. David says in verse 8, If you hear God's voice, then don't harden your heart. Don't turn a deaf ear to what he says. When the Holy Spirit tells you the activities in which you are engaged are sin, don't turn a deaf ear. Stop, repent, confess, and then move on. When the still small voice of God prompts you to call a shut-in, cook a meal for a neighbor, 
visit someone in the hospital, encourage someone who is down, share the gospel with that friend. Don't turn a deaf ear. A noble deed and a kind word are a step toward God. When the door opens to use your spiritual gifts, talents, and resources, and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart to give of yourself, go for it. What do you do? Do what you can with God, with the gifts that God has given you. When the Holy Spirit tells you He wants you to move from resentment to forgiveness, from sin to repentance, from anger to joy, from despair to hope, from hatred to love, pack your bags and load the van. Verses 9 and 10, God says, you've seen me at work in your life and the lives of others. He's got a track record of being there just when you need him the most. When we doubt the Lord or turn a deaf ear to his voice, the Bible records in verse 10, it grieves God. You would think he wouldn't care. He's got so many billions to worry about and be concerned about. But when you don't listen to him, it hurts him personal. That's a pretty awesome thing to think about. It brings him sorrow, it says in that verse. Why? Because he knows our doubts, our apathy, and our resistance to his voice can only work against us. Verse 11, as a consequence, it says we will not enter into his rest. Into his rest. And what does that mean? Who pays the price when you will not let go of your bitter and angry feelings? Who pays that price? You do. I do. Who pays the price when you allow yourself to live with the guilt, shame, and past pain of your sins? Of your past sins. So many people do it. You don't want to live in the past. So many people do. So many Christians, they've confessed their sins, they've repented of their sins, they've asked God to forgive them, and they don't, they don't forgive themselves. And when they don't forgive themselves, guess what? They're living in the prison they've created for themselves. They put all the building blocks together to block themselves in. And they've made it so high they can't get over it. It's time to get over it. If you've asked God to forgive you, He wants to forgive you, and He has. Who pays the price for stinking thinking, rotten attitudes, bigotry, and cold-heartedness? You do. Psalm 95 demonstrates there is no better place to be in life than in the loving hands of Jesus. Close enough in his embrace that we hear and heed his voice, and in so doing, we will live a life of praise and worship, and when we do, we will find that perfect peace and rest that he promised us in Psalm 95. Let's pray. I just feel compelled to ask a question here while my eyes are, my head's bowed, my eyes are closed. Are you living in guilt? Are you living in fear this morning? Are you living in despair? You feel a little bit on the hopeless side tonight? that you could use God's touch upon your life right now in a special way. You came here kind of empty, and now you're feeling the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, and you just would like to have prayer, just to be mentioned this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you felt the moving of the Holy Spirit in your heart this morning, and you would just like prayer, would you raise your hand? You don't have to come out or anything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes.
just another moment. I know the Holy Spirit was working. That's why I just felt I had to, I had to pause and ask you and tell you that I want amen. I want to pray for you this morning. Just, the, just that way. I'm not going to mention your name. What, when you raised your hand, that was between you and the Lord, and I saw it. Father God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit still speaks today. We still hear his voice today. And it says, when we hear his voice, harden not our hearts. Don't turn a deaf ear. I thank you, Lord, that there were those who heard your voice this morning for their particular life situation, and they didn't turn a deaf ear. Instead, they reached out by signaling they wanted prayer. So I pray, Lord, that you will work in their hearts and their minds in the days ahead, work in their emotions, work in the situation that they are in at the current moment. Encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them, Lord. Don't let go of them, Lord. Let them feel your presence and allow them to turn their hearts further and further toward you. Thank you for all of these things. Thank you for your word and your promises and your warnings. In Jesus' name, amen.